Radio. It's a good ass black ass time. We taking it from the stage to the airway. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Smart Funny and Black Radio. Uh, I'm on tour. That's why we are here because I am on tour. I'm on the road. I'm your host, Amanda Seals, joined by my guests. Nope. <laughs> joined by my co-host. Jeremiah, like the Bible. And Tajrani. And um, the Black Outside Again tour is in full effect. I am in Raleigh. No, You were in Raleigh. No, I am. I am recording this from Raleigh, North Carolina, because y'all know we record on Friday and we air on a Monday, right? Because we're bringing your Friday vibes to your Monday drive. And so you're seeing me in the past, but in the present, okay? And uh, you know what? I'm excited. I'm excited to finally be back on stage in a real way in other parts of the nation. You can feel the different energy when you get to other parts of the nation, like when you get in your car service and they're listening to a sermon on a Tuesday. Um, that lets you know that you in somewhere different now. You in somewhere different now. Um, you sound like Cuba Gooding Jr. in Fighting Temptations. When he goes goes home in the South, and he's like, oh, this is where we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You just, you just adjust real quick. Like, ooh, ooh, I got it. I know where we are. I know where we are. Um, being on the road is an interesting thing, though, because, like, you just have certain, like, idiosyncrasies about being on the road. Like, my homegirl, Gina Yashere, she's a comedian. Like, she is very much about, like, the room. She has OCD about, like, the germs. So she always do these videos where she, like, goes through a room and tests. Like, she rates the rooms based on, like, how clean they are and how um, on point, like, the duvet needs to cover. The, the duvet needs to fully cover. Uh, very seriously because she's like, no, that other duvet in there, they're not washing that. So the duvet cover needs to like really fully cover. She's always, she puts a, um, a plastic bag on the remote control and she always says control condom every time she does it. Like she looks in the bathrooms. It's, it's just, it, it really is a treat. And now because of her, I wear flip flops um, on the road. Something I also always have on the road with me is a vibrator because it's very hard to sleep in hotels and Annette will just send you right to dreamland. And you know you what? Know what? <laughs> I can't find the charger. I can't find the charger. So I got, I got to find, I got to find a sex shop and get me a little vibrator on the road. And I know people are in their cars like, what? Oh my God. And it's like, quit lying. Like you don't got one in your nightstand. So Literally. yeah, 41. So um, <laughs> with that being said, let's talk about how black we feel today. How black do you feel? We always start with Taj. How black do you feel today? How black am I feeling today? Um, huh. I feel like I feel as black as the wedding I was at last weekend. (laughs) Um, It was a time um, I got to hear all the childhood classics from my small town, Nyack, New York. So we're just, we were, we grew up just outside the city, but it's very, 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 very black. So it was heavy on the hip hop, the R&B, but also super heavy on the dance hall, super heavy on the classics. So that's exactly how black I feel. Like a drink and a two-step for real. Nice. Jeremiah? I am feeling Barack Obama black. Oh. Ooh, it's like, what is that about? Presidential. Because, you know, when President Barack Obama was, you know, becoming the president, people were, like, questioning, like, whether he deserved to be in that space. People didn't like him for many reasons. And, you know, the other day, y'all, I was on the internet, 
And I was on the Smart Funny and Black page and I was looking at the comments and somebody was like, oh, I tried to listen to y'all's show, but I found that guy annoying and I couldn't get into him and I feel like the, the whole show should be Gen Xers. So guess what? It don't matter because I'm still on the show and you not. Oh, say that. I'm not sure how this to- relates to Barack Obama, but go ahead. Well, because people felt that way about Barack Obama. They feel like he shouldn't be there. They feel like someone else should be in his spot. And it's like, well, he's still there. What you gonna do about it? Yeah, but the difference is also that, like, they voted him there. Like, she had no... She had absolutely no part of the decision about you being on this show. So she should go start her own show. And apparently she was like, you had her blocked. I'm like, that's why you blocked. That's why she's blocked. Why is she still trying to... Running Running that mouth. Ew, I don't like that. Mm -mm. So it's giving your block but you're still jockeying. And Always. Ha- and then you're hating. Oh, me? And you're so oh, shit, you're like, right. Like you're still looking for more places to be negative when really what you should be looking for is a therapist and also the source of your anger because it's not about us. I hope that, I sa- you know what? Let's send some peace. Her way. Namaste. I because <laughs> Namaste. this is so funny though. That was like my first hate comment. I was like, not y'all hate it, but I like stuff like that. Y'all know, I like, I think that shit be funny. I was like, what? Not me. <laughs> not let, it be a, let, it, let it be a million people and then tell me if it feels the same. What? No, I'm making t-shirts. You saw his face drop? His face drop. I'll make t-shirts then. I'm put it on my website. Like, look at all the things people say about me. <laughs> I should have a whole line of shirts. <laughs> Amanda Seals hates black men. Like, just... And then I, but you see, the thing is that the people that say, the shit people say about me is so outlandish that people actually believe it. People believe outlandish shit more than they believe like actual regular shit. So mm-hmm. for the record, I love black men. Uh, how black well, do I feel today? I feel, I feel Madam C.J. Walker black. Okay. Um, yeah, because, you know, Madam C.J. Walker, like, had to really like have a business mind, even though she was creative. And I feel like I'm having to be very business minded, like even like just thinking about things like merch for the store and coming up with like systems of organization and like figuring out like how I want to run things. And it's like, I just think about the fact that we have all these resources and tools that we can do that with now. And I look at like the black like actual entrepreneurs that came up that created places like Durham that created created places like Tulsa. And I'm just like, they had so little to work with and still were able to create all of these systems of wealth and organization. And it's very inspiring. And like, you look at Madam CJ Walker and it's like, not only were you black, but you was a woman and you were in a field that wasn't even respected. I mean, we still had to get the crown act like the other day. And, um, and for some people, I've heard people be like, yeah, but she's the one who in- introduced the perm. And it's like, OK, but by black women also at that time, like black women being able to perm their hair allowed for them to a lot of times, like be able to enter the workforce in a system that was trying to find any reason it could to keep us out. So we also got to remember the times. So shout out to Madam CJ. <laughs> shout out to Madam CJ Walker. <laughs> and um, I think it's time that we get her. into some black here at news. At this point, the news is just so, it's such a depressing time. 
And mm-hmm. um, well, that's why we have this show, you know, to kind of bring people a little bit of a little bit of joy. Well, you know what? That, well, let's start with something positive, right? Let's start with something positive. Gavin Newsom. So I know like it, when we talk about politicians these days, it, it seems like it's very, very hard to find something positive. But I think that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has been consistently giving us good headlines to speak to. We recently talked about how, you know, his his um, government returned the land to the black folks that, you know, they had taken that beach. They yeah. gave him back the beach. And now, now uh, he's doing a great job because he's signing a bill that allows victims of gun violence to sue gun manufacturers. Oh. Now, listen, like, listen to what I just said. Uh, Victims of gun violence are allowed to sue gun manufacturers. Now, this is the thing. A lot of gun manufacturers are, like, protected by this thing called the PLCAA. However, they are not entirely immune, which is why, like, the Sandy Hook parents were able to get a settlement from the gun maker of Remington. And I think that this is really important because, one, this is a very litigious company. A legit, a, I always say company on accent when I mean to say country, but actually, like, America is the company. Um, a poorly ran one, but yeah. Man. But people... <laughs> It's like in a place where like justice is, it's like justice isn't enough. Like there has to be some type of compensatory damages for you to feel like you've had justice, which is a lot of the reason why like black people here are like, how do we not have reparations? Like how are there no compensatory damages for the immense injustices that have been enacted amongst our people? Mm -hmm. So this right here allows for folks who, for what it's worth, are in a nation that's doing everything in its power to make guns have more rights than anybody else, California is saying that we're not going to get down with that. Do you think if there is more of a push towards like the ability to sue gun manufacturers, gun manufacturers will then, or maybe the NRA or whoever, or lobbyists in general around gun laws, will be more willing to create more um, safety or common sense gun laws? One billion percent. Because yeah. I feel like once they start coming for that pocket, that chick there. will so like, ooh, as things as start moving starts, and people start moving. People start as soon signing. As the pocket starts getting drained, that's when people start to make moves. Period. It's the facts. I mean, it's really just the unfortunate facts, but it is totally that. And um, I feel like, you know, there isn't really much of a reason for folks to, to move on in this country. Like I started, it's a company. People don't feel the need to move. These people in power got to power, not by caring about people, but by caring about dollars and cents. So that's why that's what it really takes. I mean, they're like putting all these buses to go to Ted Cruz's house that are filled with the with the clothes of children who have been murdered by gun violence. And I'm just like, why? Like, he don't care. It's a strong symbol. It's a strong symbol. But like the people who are going to be moved by this are not in power. That's true. I think people who are moral and who have like strong ethics, they they try to they try to appeal to like politicians through uh emotions or morality. But to your point, they don't care about that. They shouldn't they don't care about that, but they do care about money. I mean, I think there's a version where it's like making people I think in people's mind, maybe it's like, well, even if it doesn't reach the politicians, like it just empowers the people to fight more. There's that. I think it empowers people to fight more. Um, I think a lot of this. I think that we'll start to see changes from the politicians based on who may or may not be doing the suing. 
right? So I mm. think that when it comes to people that look like them, maybe, or people who are in their shoes or relatives or other rich folks, I feel like they might start to move then. But if it comes to folks that may have been victimized at uh, Uvalde or in upstate New York, it might just be like, oh, okay, uh, all right. I, I like, I, because at this point, I'm kind of like, what is going to make them move? If Sandy Hook doesn't make them move, if Uvalde and those, I hope I'm saying that city right, uh, um, if that's the type of thing that doesn't like hit them at home, I'm wondering what is actually going Money. to Money. I really think it just comes down to dollars and it sucks. Well, they won't even classify a lot of these mass shoot- shootings as, you know, acts of terrorism. So it's kind of like... So I had learned that there's this thing called TRIA, which is basically like insurance against acts of terrorism. And in order to actually file a claim under TRIA, there has to be, it has to be, a situation has to be like actually categorized as an act of terrorism. And they have not categorized, this is what I was told. So if it was wrong information, let me know. But apparently like there has not been anything categorized as an act of terrorism since September 11th. So you can't even collect on those grounds if you are the victim. relative or the victim um, within the Buffalo shooting where it is 100% an act of domestic terrorism by a white supremacist who was absolutely funded and supported by a white supremacist group. Now, they may not have identified what group it is, but you must trust and believe they know exactly who they are. Right. We also have to, we also have to believe that white supremacy is a problem. So if you don't believe that white supremacy is a problem, it's hard to kind of, you know, connect the dots there. Right. And how deep it actually goes since it's not just a group behind a veil somewhere, it's like also your local police officers and things like that. Your politicians. Your besties. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? These people that are actually like in your face trying to talk a good game. It's not something that is just behind the scenes or like riding on a horse in the night with some fucking hood on or something like that. It's like very, very real. Now, somebody who be, um, you know, talking about riding things is Big Lotto. And Big Lotto, you know, a lot of people know her from her song, Big Big Energy, right? And, you know, yes. she's she's getting up there with the hits, right? Yeah, like, yes. and so I think that's really dope that she went from somebody who had named herself Malato, uh, and she she changed that. She 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 you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And she changed it to Big Lotto and she's getting them hits. And you know what she did with her platform is she did a song that talks about Roe v. Wade. Yes. And then people were mad. They were, which is what? Of course. Of course. So basically, she has a new single called Pussy that she teased on her um socials. And in this song, it says, How you ain't got pussy, but got a pain on pussy. That's pussy. My ovaries ain't for you to bully. That's what the sound clip says. Love and it. people were like, um, you using serious issues to promote your new song is wild. And she was like, <laughs> or my frustrations to the booth, like a rapper using my platform to spread awareness. And then she also continued to say, y'all complain about female rap lacking substance, but then say I'm capitalizing when I speak on shit. Help me understand. It's giving stick to dribbling. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is giving shut up and dribble. Just make these hits. Talk about pussy all you want to, but don't talk about yours or anybody else's when it comes to protecting it. We don't want to hear it. It definitely is giving shut up and dribble. It's and that's pretty whack. That's pretty whack. I think it's weird, though, to her point that she said people always are criticizing female rappers in particular about, like, they're using sex to, to talk about their records, talk about pussy. And I feel like if you go talk about pussy, this is the most, uh, I guess, the best thing to speak about that makes sense. There's an attack on women's rights and vaginas, reproductive organs, mm-hmm. all those different things. So I feel like 
It makes sense. Even if you weren't an artist who were necessarily like um, social in your commentary. You're a person. Yeah. So it's affecting you. It's like, Listen, I love it. As somebody who grew up on 90s hip hop and just the fact that we would have like a very diverse amount of, mm-hmm. there, there was a diverse lyricism within hip hop, right? Like you're getting stuff about parties, you're getting stuff about politics, you're getting stuff about the police, et cetera. I'm, I've been missing that from hip hop these days. You know, it's just been a lot of fluff, a lot of just materialism, et cetera. And I did say, and I've always said, like what's going to happen is when shit gets in crisis and when shit gets critical, it's going to go down to the creatives who are going to start putting in the work. And I love seeing this happen this quickly. Nobody's looking at Big Lotto for a message. And I love that she's like, well, best guess what though? It's a gotcha, bitch. <laughs> do y'all feel like, it. what do y'all feel like is the line though between, like, I guess, bringing awareness and exploiting a situation for like you know clicks I don't or... find this like for me I don't feel like this is exploitation no like if a man is talking about it that clearly hates women and who has hated women then yeah there you're you exploiting go. something for a message right like you're exploiting something to just get eyeballs or get those ears or get those streams but if you're a woman with a uterus and a pussy and you want to talk about it and you want to get the message out there that that type of thing needs to be protected, then absolutely. That's not exploitation. That's actually part of telling your story. So if we want to talk about real rap and real narratives and stuff, this is part of the current narrative. And she's from a red state. So like, yeah, say that. You know? ain't, ain't no wrong reason to do right, baby. <laughs> ain't no wrong reason to do right. Well, speaking of doing right, I mean, because we've talked about guns, we've talked about Roe v. Wade. Um, let's talk about some sports real quick, real quick before we get into the Black Joy story. Dion Sanders was recently speaking on the lack of Black players in baseball. And now, of course, you know Dion Sanders. He was playing both baseball and the and football. One time, yeah. one time he paid both in the same Night. I mean, no, the same night. Literally, he played a football game and a baseball game in the same night. Like it was bonkers. Like, thanks, Super time human. zones. Willie Beeman. Um, and he said, back when I was coming up, we had a lot of African Americans in Major League Baseball. Now that is not a thing because they priced us out as well. Back when we played baseball in the little leagues, it was about a hundred or and a hundred. It was about $100 or $150 to register. To play on a select team now, it's at least $2,000. That's crazy. It's nuts. When I saw this, I had to to call my dad. So, like, my dad coached, um, like, Little League Baseball. Like, my brothers, like, played baseball through, like, our life. Um, So, I was, like, interested, like, his perspective on this. Because one thing Dion also said to set this quote up was that the reasons that you don't see a lot of Black kids in... Um, baseball because a lot of black fathers don't play baseball so it's kind of like usually teach your kids what you know and I found out my dad actually played baseball I never knew that I was like oh okay interesting but he's talking about kind of how like at our park where my brothers pay it was like $50 to register your kids at the, like the little league park so you would pay $50 that pay for your like your uniforms to play the whole season and you only had to pay out of pocket maybe for like your cleats or like your baseball bats but like you said, when you talk about the select teams, it is so much money and not just the registration fee, but then you got to account for like traveling. So yeah. a, definitely a price gap between the have and the have nots. And my dad was kind of saying like, he felt like a lot of his kids had like talent, but because of the finance, finances of it, they weren't able to kind of go into those elite um, leagues to kind of really play at a more advanced level. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, that's... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's just really shameful just because I feel like that's just overlooking so much natural talent that exists in those worlds. Like all these like three sport athletes that get to high school, you're talking like track and and football and basketball. It's like 
to leave baseball out of it is nuts. It's like we wouldn't have Venus and Serena if they hadn't like got a scholarship. Because mm-hmm. then their dad like go down to the the court and beg the man and be like, "Can you, can yes. you just train my child?" Yes, and he I only mean, trained one of them. He was like, "I can train one, but I can't." Train yeah, both. but I can't. Train. And so the other one just you know, so Serena just like stuck around and paid attention. Yeah, yeah. she'll shadow like you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> Serena got that good from playing with her daddy, but also just like shadowing every single day. But I think but, there's uh, also just a chasm between two the levels because I mean obviously like he said little league is like fifty dollars but to really compete on an advanced level for a chance to go pro you yeah. need that extra attention that extra level of advancement mm-hmm. and it costs money and a lot of kids unfortunately don't have that those means for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It's it's I'm thinking about uh, the Colin Kaepernick series that came out last year on yeah. Netflix and you see how much travel and how much time and stuff that kind of and the money that time. it just takes. That's a big it's part the time. It. Like, you know what I'm saying? Your parents oftentimes yeah. have to have time. And it's kind of like if we're looking at certain spaces or certain neighborhoods, your parents might not have that time. You might not have someone that can get you from point yep. A to point B. So it's also a thing that's kind of like community. Like I know that the um, gymnast Angel Rice came from a gym um, where this man kind of pulled a bunch of money together to start training black kids to flip and to be able to do gymnastics and stuff like that. And then like three of them had ended up at uh, the other school on cheer. Mm -hmm. But it's those things like in some of these communities, it will just take people having to band together. Yeah. Like to just push because you know the talent when you see it. Mm -mm -mm. Well, Dion knew the talent, you know, and now I love that he's taken his talent to be a coach at an HBCU. So I think uh, I think State. it's Jackson State. He's the coach at. And, um, you know, but it's just, again, about awareness. And we here are always aware that even though shit is trash, it's important for us <laughs> to balance it with joy, which is why every week we bring you a story of black joy. A story of black joy. Now, I do. I am not a fan of black firsts because I feel like it is crazy that in 2022, we're still talking about it's the first and it's the first black and it's the first black. However, this is an exception. Can one of you all please break it down for us? But did y'all know I'm the first black person to be annoying on a radio show? So, you know, apparently. I don't care what people say about me, but I'm going <laughs> to mm-hmm. go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Um, but no, so Sandra Douglas became the first black woman to be named a team president in the NFL. Um, so she is a part of the Las Vegas Raiders, um, club now, and she made history by being the first black female, but she's the third female president and the third black president of the NFL. Um, so hopefully this, you know, changes something within the NFL or at least impacts that team in a, in a positive way, because I do think we have black people in certain spaces their impact can be great if they're allowed the um, the space to make an impact. Mm-hmm. I think this is awesome. Um, I think the NFL still has a bunch of work to do, as we all uh, know. Um, but they have done a lot trying to repair their reputation the past couple of years since, uh, you know, they blackballed Colin Kaepernick. So this is definitely a step in the right direction for women, but especially for Black women in the NFL. And for Black women in sports in general, we keep seeing a lot of firsts across all sports verticals. Um, So shout out to Sandra Douglas for doing this, because to be able to break through whatever ceiling they've got over there, I wouldn't even call it glass, I call it concrete. (laughs) Um, In that organization, (laughs) yeah, literally, you know, in that organization, this is a huge thing. So I hope she gets the respect that she's, uh, that she deserves. So I'll have my eye on the Raiders. Okay. But I don't understand. So she is the first black female team president in the NFL's history, but then it says that she's also the third female president. 
Yeah, the third female president and the third black president. But they just oh, oh, black oh, female. oh, my God. You're right. Yes, the combination. Yes. The combination. Yes. <laughs> the intersectionality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? More power to her because she is stepping into a sewer. Mm-hmm. And prayers because she don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> the NFL. Yeah, because folks still don't know how to act. So they shout don't. To, again, again, shout out to her because it's going to take a lot of... um strength to push through because I already know folks is talking greasy at all times. <laughs> I can already imagine it. Did you see the guy talking greasy to AOC when she was walking up the steps at the, um, in the Capitol? Like this white no. dude was literally on camera like, oh, there goes AOC. That's my favorite. That's my favorite Latina. Yeah, look at that ass. Look at Whoa. that ass. A hot tamale. She started walking over there. The Bronx was about to really turn up and whoever was with her, like, stopped her. And then she was just like, here's a selfie for you. Here's a selfie. But, like, he was really just nasty and sexual harassment all the way. And it's just like, how is this even allowed? Like, how... Uh, stop asking rhetorical questions that you know the answer to, Amanda. Um <laughs> Because that's Free my newest speech. thing is like, can we stop like asking the rhetorical questions? Like, I, I, I'm tired of people being like, I can't even believe why are we doing this? Like, you know what? We're doing this because shitty people are in power mm-hmm. because money is ruling everything. And because the moral compass has been all but smashed and depleted. That's why. So instead of I continuing, never had right. Ooh, say that. So instead of continuing to like spin our wheels, like why we need to start like planting our feet and like, how do we shift it? And when we come back, we're going to shift gears and go to the back of the class. I am your host, Amanda Seals, joined by my co-hosts. Jeremiah, like the Bible. And Tajrani. And this is my Funny and Black Radio. And if you are just joining us, make sure that you go to amandaseals.com and check out my tour dates. I was in Raleigh and I'm about to be in D.C. this weekend and I'm going to be in a city near you. So make sure you check it out. And when we get back, we'll be at the back of the class. Smart Funny and Black! I'm Amanda Seals, comedian, star of HBO Insecure, creator of Smart Funny and Black and host of Small Doses. An irreverent self-help podcast, we bring powerful truth tellers to the mic to inspire, ignite, and inform listeners on the everyday ways we can show up for ourselves and each other. I make sure to keep y'all laughing while learning, letting our audience in on conversations that push the envelope and challenge your comfort zones, all in the name of identifying ways to live our best lives. Small Doses is brought to you by Starburns Audio. Available wherever you get your podcast. Amanda. Present. Tosh. Here. Jeremiah. It's me. Funny in Black Radio with me, Amanda Seals, and my host. Jeremiah, like the Bible. And Tajrani. And you know, like we talk about like our thoughts on things and our opinions on things, et cetera, et cetera. But yes. y'all don't really like know us, know us. Okay. Y'all haven't had the opportunity to do that. And so we wanted to take some time to go to the bag of the glass with one of our own in honor of us being at the Kennedy Center in DC this weekend. You have heard him reference being a Howard University bison over and over and over again. So it's why Leonard not? Robertson from last week's <laughs> Let's go to the back of the class with Jeremiah Jones. <laughs> All right. We're here. We're here in the back of the class with Jeremiah. Now, that means you know you got to play a game. 
Oh, dang. I got to play the game, too. Okay. You got to play the game. <laughs> I got to put my skills to use. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Now, of course, we are talking all about, you know, the Kennedy Center. This is the, the big blackout side again weekend going at the Kennedy Center this weekend. We got Smart, Funny, and Black, the live show. We got my podcast, Small Doses Live. We got me doing stand-up and evening with Amanda Seals. But D.C. as a place, as a, as a location, is its own vibe. It's got all types of things culturally that a lot of people don't yes. know about. But you being somebody who got your higher education while there... Can please illuminate, illuminate for us in a little game called Explain It. Okay. okay. Some of um, some of the things that DC has been known for. Now, I feel like one of the things that for me was the first thing that I came to understand about DC that I had never heard about before, and this was me as a music person, was go-go music. Okay. Okay. Now, how about you go-go explain go-go music? <laughs> Go go music. It's like it's vibrant. It's fun. It's punchy. Like it's literally nothing you've ever heard before. Um, like being from Atlanta, I've heard various of music. When I got to DC, I'm like, oh wow, this is not a regular song. This is a go go remix of my favorite top forty or R and B classic song. Um, it definitely has like it kind of reminds me of like house music a little bit. It has like a house vibe to it, but it still has like that DC vibe that dc energy uh, the best reference i think of is like doing the butt like doing the butt uh, uh, y'all know about that y'all too young for that amanda and Ty. oh wow, no. wow. <laughs> you were alive when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> um but no they're definitely other classics that's the one that comes to mind like most recently but i remember i vividly remember one day riding down the street <sighs> northwest dc and this is the time i think uh adele someone like you had came out and i was like i love that song Little did I know this was the Go-Go remix of Adele, <laughs> Someone Like You. Oh, you didn't know that the, the original is... <laughs> someone like you. Man. Like that. One thing about DC, I, I respect it because I'm I, I respect the culture, but they go remix every single song. You know, <laughs> to Go-Go. Ashley, and people from Ashley DC... Simpson. Listen, anything you can think of, it has a Go-Go beat. But that's how I was playing Go-Go. It's very vibrant. It's punchy. It's like... It's the next best thing, honestly. I, and I, I really love the fact that DC has like this original form of like expression um, because mm. I think sometimes they get overlooked as like a, a cultural spot for like black culture also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. I think, we're, are we going to give that a... I think I we can a give it a, I, I think it's a bell. I think it's a bell. Okay. All right. I feel like if it's not, it's shady. I feel like y'all being shady. <laughs> you should have talked, talked about when they definitely tried to ban Go-Go a couple of years ago. And oh. people were like, people were like yes. absolutely never. So they tried to ban it. Why? Well, not necessarily ban it, but there was a, there's a Metro PCS on Georgia Avenue and Florida Avenue. <laughs> and as you know, right now, not just in DC, but across the nation, there's a lot of gentrification happening. Um, and how it was also affected by that were like the neighbors that are not black were kind of complaining that this spot was playing music too loudly. But it's kind of like, y'all moved to the city. Like, what y'all thought was going to happen? Um, but playing like loud go-go music, there were like complaints about like, you know, shutting it down, cutting out the music. And I think they kind of, the city kind of appeased them for a little bit, but then the music came back because people was like, no, you're not coming. We out. were here before you got here. Like, what are you yes. talking about? They there definitely was even a moment. To- I was going to say, they definitely went to where the Metro PCS was and people like set it up to yes. bust it down with go-go music loudly to piss But there was even a moment in time where the university, when I was on campus, was trying to get us as students to kind of appease the neighbors. Like, you guys have to do things differently. And we were like, how you going to come to our neighborhood with this 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 institution trying to have regulate how the black kids on the campus are, are moving through the city? Like, that's, that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
find it always interesting. It's kind of, it's urban colonization. They call it gentrification, but really it's just urban colonizing. We showed up here and the, this, this, the shit that y'all doing, we don't like it. So can you all do it different? Get the fuck out of here. All right. Well, we're, you're going to get a ding. I think we're going to get, yeah. we're going to get a ding. Especially because Tosh, Tosh threw that one out there and you were able to like, whoa, whoa, I know about this. So, okay. All right. Sometimes. All right. Well, I think it would be only right that you explain Howard University. You know, I feel like I prepared my whole life for this moment to have oh, to explain God. Howard University on Smartphone and Black Radio. <laughs> so not only is Howard University the illustrious Howard University, but I feel like it's like honestly the mecca of Black college culture, so to speak. Um, it's really the number one university. Also, although some lists say that Spelman is number one, but I feel like that doesn't count because there are only females that go to, that go to Spelman. So I feel like that the numbers are kind of skewed. Um, so therefore, Howard is the number one HBCU in the country, currently speaking. Um, we're best known for our... Hey, wait, elect- here's a question. Just, just yes. going to put a pin in that because you specifically said females. Can trans women go to Spelman? I believe they have had a trans yeah. woman go to Spelman at a certain point. I feel like that was in the news like rec- in recent years. Mm-hmm. Within um, the past like two years, I believe that there were um, trans, trans women that were... Accepted, in- yeah. Can trans men go to Spelman who are biologically female? I, I don't know. I don't know. That's great New question. times. New times. New times. I don't know. Um, that's Carry what, on. That just speaks like also like just the gendered higher educational system also as well. But um, Howard University is known for our illustrious, you know, um, I'm keeping saying illustrious. Anybody went to HBCU, that's like, our, that's like a buzzword, illustrious. I also found it very annoying. That's why I'm using it as well. I'm being Got it. I can't. Cool, cool. Um, <laughs> but no, we're known for our alumni like Taraji P. Henson, you know, Nick Hannah recently went there. You know, he went to Howard University. He just graduated not too long ago as well. Uh, Vice president. I feel like Nick Hannah only went there to create a legacy for all the kids he's having so that they can have an easier route to college. That's my he theory. might not be wrong, honestly. That's the that's the best <laughs> conspiracy theory I've heard about that's, Nick Hannah. That's my theory. <laughs> vice presidential, uh, not even candidate, vice president now, um, Kamala Harris is an alumni of Howard University. Uh, Felicia Rashad, Debbie Allen, Taraji P. Henson, I said that. And obviously, Jeremiah, like the Bible. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know, in case you guys missed that, um, that happened. Um, but yeah, there's so many people that went to our, our, went to our university. I feel like it's also hip hop's favorite college. We've been name dropped in so many songs, um, pimping out all around the world, Ludacris, um, Drake Make Me Proud. And I'm sure there's so many more that I can't think of. You're the hip hop connoisseur, Amanda Seals. So I'm sure you probably think of a few more. But yeah, that's Howard University. You know, higher ed, black excellence is giving. I feel like you didn't nail this. Yeah. I nailed it. What do you mean? There's so much more. I don't, my thing is, how can you really do all that? Not mention homecoming, not mention being the the first HBCU in the nation. The plots. (laughs) It's not the first. I don't think but it's no, the first. She meant, she meant the the home of the Divine Nine. So many yeah, of the that right. That's what, what I was are say. founded at Howard University. Last yeah. we had Leonard Robertson, who is an Alpha Chapter member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity, which was founded on the steps of one of our buildings in the science in the Valley, or one of our science buildings. I can't think of the building right now. Alpha Kappa Alpha, Zeta Phi Beta. Um, what really, is it? All of them? All of them except for Kappa except Alpha for the Psi alphas, and Alpha. Except for Alphas, um, I believe S G Rho in the campus. Um, we're not founded at Howard. Iotas um, were founded at Howard. Now that I do not remember. That, mm. Now you, now you, now you, you deep in the bag. Now hold on. You that are I, in the bag. You <laughs> are in the bag. Um, but also, Howard, to Taj's appeasement, Howard Homecoming, one of the biggest events of the year. You know, known for events like Yard Fest, um, the hip hop show, the R and B show, 
Erica Badu came to the, the R&B show one year, and you know, I heard it was a, I heard it was a vibe. I missed it, but it was a vibe. Drake made an appearance at my very first Howard Homecoming in the infamous Howard Red Crew Neck, and he caused the stampede, and people could have hurt themselves and could have died. But thank you, Aubrey Graham, for you know giving us a moment. People love a moment. People love chaos. So you know, it was. A, it was but a, what a is it about Howard that makes Howard so illustrious? You know, really, what it is. I'll actually say this. This is on a serious note. When I visited Howard, people always like people visit like schools and stuff on these big days where they're like balloons. There's like, you know, people on the yard. Stepping Orientation. Like yeah. Right. Like, it's like a different world. The day I visited Howard for my, like, just to go on my tour, it was the coldest, one of the coldest days in DC. It was like rainy. I had this little ass jacket on trying to be cool. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to a college. And it was nothing exciting about the university to me, like as far as like the antics that you usually see on, on TV and stuff. But there was like an energy on the ground that makes, I don't know how to explain it. I always say it was like an energy. Like, you kind of felt like, Oh, like you see all these like other black kids that are like pursuing something. You feel like an energy in the air that kind of feels like people have been here before. There's like a legacy that you kind of feel in the air um, throughout the year. So I think that's what really makes Howard, Howard. Like you feel like the deeply rooted history as you walk through the grounds of the uh, university. You kind of like see the buildings, you see the architecture, you see the photos. And it's like, wow, there are people who kind of like laid the foundation for me to be here. And not just on this campus as a student at, at, at an HBCU, but just throughout the world. Like these people have left this this space and carved pathways to um, help better us. I.E. Thurgood Marshall, you know, because of him, we have Brown versus the Board of Education, you know, things like that. So I think that's what makes Howard Howard. Like the the feeling, the the energy, the spirit. I mean, I don't I don't know about the bisons that are listening. Um, they love me. I don't know how they feel. They I was about to know. say, I feel like week to week, you're more enthusiastic than you were just now. I feel like, just, <laughs> I, feel like I feel like you just gave us the dissertation version instead of the, I went to the... I mean, I also was a student ambassador, so I feel like I, I have like a back script in my brain. I'm like, what is the Howard University script? Let's, how do I sell the university to these people? That's my job to sell the dream to people every week in the school of, school of uh, I mean, the administration building to get people to come to Howard. That was part of my undergraduate activities as well. Fun fact. All right. Well, Taj, you decide. Is he getting the ding or no? I'll give him the ding only because... Oh, not the only because. No, no, (laughs) only because we learned a lot. So people that don't know anything about Howard will learn a lot. I gave you the smart in the smart, funny, and black. You did, because I definitely have... I swore this whole time that Howard was the first HBCU in the nation. I didn't know it was a university in Pennsylvania, which is... Lincoln. Yeah. Good old Lincoln University. And, uh-huh. and here we are. You got a ding. So, all right. <laughs> I'm going to get that ding. One thing about it, I'm going to find a way to make a way. <laughs> and that's also Clark Atlanta's motto. Fun fact, find a way to make a way. Find a way to make a way. <laughs> well, you know, we, we have gotten to know so many folks that have come on the show and about their past and their, their experience in school. And so we'd love to know about you, Jeremiah. What were you like? In school, I know you wasn't a quiet type, but were you the class clown? I was not the class clown. I was not. A, I was a. I feel like I, how I show up now. I'm not like a clown, but I feel like I definitely have a personality that you guys can like see. Um, but I actually was voted most school spirited in high school. That's why, <laughs> I, because I was the person that people would go to and be like, "Oh, what we doing for homecoming? What, what's happening with this thing?" I was like always Insta um, and like organizing. Did you stuff. do yearbook? I was the yearbook editor. Um, oh, my year. oh my I God. Can. My friends are going to hear this. They're going to like be dying laughing because so <laughs> when I was a junior, I was also in the yearbook and I kind of like took over the yearbook and basically, I used to, people used to be mad at me. I used to go on our website where you do like the, the web, the uh, yearbook pages and change wow. people's pages because I thought they were ugly. 
I was like, oh, really? like, th- like, so, like, within the work group. Yes, people would design layouts. I thought they were ugly. I would go back and redo them. Oh so, my god! But people can't say the yearbook wasn't popping when it came out. You might have hated <laughs> me in the moment, but I, it, the ends, the mean, what is the ends? Just about the means. Yes. So you know, but yeah, that the, was me. The fact that you did that is crazy. Crazier to me is the fact that you said I would just go into the computer system because I know for a fact. <laughs> When we did our yearbook, Correct. every most of the stuff was done by hand. Oh, yes. So once it was done, it's it's out there and it's I long. was in a junior, like 2010, 2011. So yeah, like in 2010, we had computers. We had computers, guys. Oh. Well, so first off, we had computers. <laughs> but they we, just didn't do what the, all y'all. that. Our computers oh, yeah. are really word processors. Let's keep it real. And like really- the and like a practice means for Mavis Bacon teaches typing. Like that was maybe like Mavis Bacon teaches typing was really what it was about. And Oregon Trail. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, that's a throwback. That's a real throwback. That's like my elementary. Oh wow. Ooh. I mean, that was our elementary too. That was but, our elementary too. But to be fair, you know, it's a public school, so the a lot of the stuff went updated that that rapidly. So let's be honest. It was probably still operating systems they had when people first invented computers, honestly, if we being honest with, you know, how they fund these schools these days. That's fair. But I want to know, since you're Mr. ATL and Mr. Howard University, what Black teachers that you had left a lasting impression on you? Now, that's hard because I, I talk about it every week. I've had so many Black teachers. Um, so, they, so at that point, it's kind of like I look at the little small things about them. Um, so one I think that comes to mind first is my first dance teacher I had. So I think I think I, y'all discovered this alone like a while back randomly that I used to dance when I was growing up. Yes. So um, I started out like in like first grade. I was in our performing arts magnet program, and my first dance teacher was this lady named Miss Donna Donna May. Um, and I had an older brother who's two years older than me, Josh, who was like in the program already. So anytime you have a, a brother or a sibling that's older than you, people have like a idea of who you are already. But I just remember her just kind of like just kind of like pouring into me, like pushing me like as a talent, like, you know, you're better than this. Like, like always making me kind of rise above and making me like, when I would kind of get like slacked or like real like lax in my like showing up, like, you know, I could I could dance, I'm fine. She'd be like, no, you need to kind of like do better. Like you're better than this. And she would like call me out. Um, like I remember she had taught us how to like tap dance. Like she had literally had me and my brother come to like the Browns Mill rec center on the weekends to teach us how to tap dance, like at, outside of like school hours. Hmm. So I, that's like the first teacher I think of, like when I think of black teachers that impacted me. So shout out to you. Find out you was one of the Nicholas brothers. Let me find <laughs> out. I hated tapping. Tapping was so hard to me. I think that's why I hated it though. It was hard. Anytime it's like something is hard, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is Really? Hard. That's one of my character flaws. <laughs> it's definitely a very, it's a very specific type of dance. It is because it's so intricate. It's like literally beat, yeah. beat, 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 beat. That's my, when I went to college, my freshman year, I was on a step team. That's also why I hated kind of like stepping because it's so intricate. Like mm-hmm. dance is very like, it flows. Like you kind of kind of just like move the beat. With like step and tap, it's literally like the beats are making the, the sound. So if yes. you yes. fuck up a beat, it's like you fucked up the whole thing. I'm like, oh, sorry. I mean, can you dance? Do you have rhythm? I can dance, yes. Because I feel like that's the, like, it's like a different type of dance right? right because if you're if you're just like someone that just likes the groove to a vibe then you do that but then once right. you have that it locks you in it's like i could do spoken word but like rap was very hard for me because it was like i could like be free and flowing with the words but then once it became to like no you got to do the words to the beat i was like oh my god kill me no, i feel that but also with the, i think also like just the the intricacies of, of a tap sheet was like you have to put your foot this way make it do this it's like what's this 
So why Well, you know what though? I'm curious if there was anything that you would have changed. What would you have changed from like your if you had if you could go back? If I could I change? I would change so much, honestly. I feel like I I'm the type of person I feel like I I'm not controlling, but I feel like I try to curate myself a lot of times. I feel like that mm. makes it hard. And I feel like if I was in high school, like how I am now, I feel like I would have enjoyed myself more if I was just more like, if I didn't care as much like about like pe- people's perception of how they see me, if that makes sense. I feel like if I was just like, you know what? It is what it is. I'm here. And I yeah. think I, did, I didn't care to an extent, but I think in the back of your brain, when you're just growing up, you have that sense of like, what are my friends going to say? What are the people going to say about me? And also these people that you don't even fucking think about no more. You don't even, you don't even see. Right. So it's kind of like you, you allow these like people who aren't even in your life now kind of affect how you kind of move through this very pivotal time in your life. So I would kind of change that. I would be like more free. I would be like careless and just do what I wanted to do. And I apply mean, myself more. I would apply myself more because I feel like I, I would kind of like skate through school a lot of times. Skaters! What do you define as a skater? Like I've, I, like you, I was like the gifted program growing up. So like I knew I was smart and that was never a question. So I knew I could do like... Oh, did you like have to do a test and all of that? Yeah. I did, do you like, remember my, when you did it? In first grade. Oh, wow. No, because listen, I, I, it's like some people, it's like not third grade, kindergarten, right. et cetera. So is, you were in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so did they have like a different school you went to or was there just like a, uh, how, how did it work in terms of how Gifted was impl- implemented? Well, I was already in the performing arts school. So like we had the magnet program happening, but within that, we had like a special like class. They were like plus out of class. And you would go to like, they used to call it discovery. Like you go to this, your discovery class. Um, but once you get into like middle school and high school, now it became like, oh, like in middle school, we had like teams. So like every yeah. grade level was separated into teams. So my team was like the smart team. We were like the Hawks. That's, that's what all the smart kids are. And then Wait, in high school, that is terrible. They had all the smart kids in the same place. What, what was the other teams? So you had the Hawks, the Falcons. They were all like Atlanta teams, the Thrashers. And I know, the, but the like if y'all were considered the smart kids, what were the other teams considered? You had like the regular kids and we all knew what the slow team, the slow, slow team was. So it's kind of like, a, no one said it, but you kind of like knew if that makes sense. Oh, it wasn't like that is open so secret. terrible. I hate when I hear something about that, when I hear about how like schools are really just like, they're, they are making decisions about children's futures before... Children can get the chance to make that decision yeah. for themselves. Y'all but that didn't really mean nothing though, because I feel like a lot of the cool kids was like on the teams with like the not smart kids anyway. So it's like you know, yeah. But I mean, it means something in the sense of like who you are proximity, who who you're with, who you are in proximity with as you are learning. Yeah, right. Because if yes. you are, you know how they always say like you never want to be the smartest person in the room because like when there's other folks in the room that have other information, like it, it forces you to kind of level up and, That's you know, true. expand. So if you're in a room and like everybody on the same Feels level. Like, but I do feel like smart kids are really competitive with each other. They're like, you ain't finna outsmart me. I'm the smartest. So it's kind of like a pissing contest that kind of happens with kids too, where it's like, I'm smarter than you, I'm smarter than you. But I do think that it does create a disadvantage for other kids to not be in that space. Absolutely. Because they um, might be smart but there just hasn't been the um the push the pu- exactly like the but inspiration. I will say this I feel like this is also what I hate about it to your point when I got to high school now I'm on like all the advanced classes but I'm terrible at math like I suck at math I could probably be in third grade math right now and not know what's going on Ditto. but there's an assumption that since you're smart in one area you're smart in all the areas so I feel Correct. like I'll be in math class just like <laughs> hey I literally I literally got a D in in twelfth grade calculus because I'm like. 
they had like advanced math one, two, and three. And the only thing left after that was like AP statistics or calculus. And I'm like, well, damn, I don't know how to do either one of these things. So I no. literally was in, I, was, I, not, I vividly remember like sitting in the front of the class, like, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. <laughs> I didn't get it, y'all. <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't get it, y'all. I mean, I hear you. Math for me has always been an elusive um, beast that I am trying to tame. I mean, I managed to to like successfully put together a spreadsheet with um, with what's it called? Formulas. Yes, an Excel spreadsheet with formulas. And I really felt like. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, fuck you, algebra. I did it. <laughs> That's like math is always like a, I would rather take a foreign language than math. I'm like, I don't because I feel like math is a foreign language. I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, you know, there's dyslexia for words, but like they there is something for for math. I think it's something like calculexia yeah. or something like that. And the oh. way that I be flipping numbers, the way that I will look at a number and in my mind it is a different number, I'd be like, I wonder I if think I, I got, got that. that. Like, okay. so are you, so like, if you, if it's a six, do you think it's a nine or is it like 37? You're thinking it's like 73. That. Yeah. Okay. Like I will, I've done that so bad before I've missed flights <laughs> because I turned like seven, 23 into like, I've, I've missed a flight before because I turned like two thirty into three twenty. No. And I got to the airport, like. Hey guys, and they're like, your flight left an hour ago. Like I've done that at least three times in my life, and I've done it with the dates where, like, I thought I was leaving on one you day, know, a different day. Yeah, like I thought I was leaving on two twenty three. Nope, you was leaving on three twenty two. Like, so wow. You know what I but mean. I think to that point, that's why I used to, we used to do like in fifth grade in Miss Kane Wright's class. I never forget like the mental math. That's Miss Kane Wright. <laughs> There's so many funny stories in that class. But anyway, we used to do like mental math, mental math tests. And I would always do bad at them. Bad at them because I'm like, my brain cannot, I need to see like the numbers on paper. I can't like do numbers in my head. Like I still count on my fingers. Huh. As long as I got the fingers, I'm gonna count on them. God gave me fingers to count on them. I mean, that's just what it is. Well, math may not have been your subject, but I feel like you will definitely do well in the blob quiz. All right now, Jeremiah, you've done given the block quiz, you've administered the block quiz (laughs) more than once, but now it is time for you to take the block quiz. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, um, let's jump it off. Let's jump it the frick off. Taj, hit him with the first question. So Jeremiah, like the Bible, what is your black culture blind spot? My black culture blind spot will probably be like rap music, maybe. Like, I feel like I've never been like into hip hop, like heavy in that way. Like, obviously I have older brothers that who love hip hop music. Um, like my brother, Dwayne, literally driving down the street, you hear like the bass in his, his fucking speakers. Like he's one of them type people and loves hip hop. My older brothers love hip hop, but I've always been more like an R&B person. Like I love like slow songs. I love singing and like, you know, all those things. So rap music would be my black culture blind spot. Okay. Now, what item, <laughs> if you was traveling nine years away to the red planet, what item would you take with you to remember your blackness? What item would I take with me to remember my blackness? This is my question. I always ask everybody. So I'm like, what exactly. the... Exactly. And I never thought about it. What would I take with me? 
I mean, I think, hmm, a box set of a different world, maybe. That's what I would say. Mm. I love that. What season? I was not the first season. That that doesn't count. Um, I like. I'm, I feel like around three or four, maybe like the third or fourth season, where like Dwayne and Whitley are. Con- the season I've recently been watching this. The season where like Dwayne is dating Kino and Whitney's giving him hell about it. I think. That's, <laughs> that's the season. Let me tell you, and that was when shows had twenty-two episodes. So like, you know, on the regular, like, so you really got to like be on that journey with Kukuku you, Kukuku you. Um, okay, Tosh. So, name a black proverb that lives rent-free in your head. In the words of my father, if you like it, I love it. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's like, well, if you like it, I love it. And I saw a post one time that said, if a black person say, if you like it, I love it, they neither like it or, nor love it. <laughs> <laughs> Either one. They're just being polite and they don't have the energy. They don't. They also don't feel it's their fight. You're you know what I'm saying? I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't have it. So you know. If you like it, I love it. Like you know, that's what you say. Like when that when when um, a certain person who's the part of a family whose name we don't name on this show like continues to have children with a certain person who has consistently demeaned them and shown that they don't care about them. You're like, you know what? If you like it, I love, we I love, love it. it. I love it. It's giving this like, <laughs> go ahead, girl. Go ahead, girl. <laughs> You know, it's your best life. You're doing too much. I think you're doing too much. That's my latest hit tune. Um, <laughs> you're doing too, 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 too much. Okay. All of your jing- are all of your jingles mid nineties? Yes. Theme? No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And that wasn't even like something I noticed until someone else pointed out. Like you know, everything you sing in Jingly Land is like nineties vibe, and I'm like. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) jingling, sitting on these hoes. I'ma be sitting on these hoes. That '90s inflection. Somebody needs to do a case study just on that alone, like the literally style of '90s. Like, why? Why? How do we, we get here? How do we get to this moment? In music? It's like a whole accent that 90 singers were doing. Like, what's going on, guys? Which is like, why it's why? funny when people like drag SZA. I'm like, SZA, learn from y'all. Like, she just took it to another level. But the accent is not, not a new thing. <laughs> in music. Amanda's not loving this take I'm giving it. Because, but, it's true. It's true. but there's no enunciation. Like in the 90s, there was an yeah, over enunciation. Yeah, I was listening. I, I know that Summer Walker is like huge. People love Summer Walker. So I was watching this performance where everybody was singing her song and they were literally crying while they were singing her song. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get into Summer Walker more. Like, what am I doing? And so I started listening into that song, the song Session 33, Session 32 or Session 33. Yeah. Like, I was like, ooh, child, back in my niggas, niggas is killing me every day stage. I, w- I would oh, really. I would have ate it up. And I also think that's probably part of it. Like, I'm actually in, like, a steady, healthy relationship. So, like, I I don't really connect to this music like I would have back in my, like, pain days. Let's hope I never go back there. Um, You won't. You won't. But I also then, I was listening to other songs. I couldn't, I literally couldn't understand what they were saying. Yeah, that's her so fatigue. I, yeah. She has a song with SZA too. I'm like, oh my God, my two favorite <laughs> nine enunciating queens on a song together. 
I just want to show what the fuck is over here, you. I want you with someone, you with devil. And so, what are we screwing up well? Literally, that. It's a run on sentence. Literally. It absolutely is a is a is a dissertation comment from somebody on my page with like no punctuation in all caps. You just make up your own words. You just make up your own words and vibe. You know, create your Let own. Let me tell you. Creative. Speaking of making up own words and vibes, '90s music like Janet Jackson's "If." I loved that song. I loved that song. I remember being on a road trip with my aunt and like deciding I need to learn all the words to this song. And so I would play and rewind, play and rewind, play and rewind with my Sony Walkman, the yellow sports Walkman, to really learn the words to this song. And when I tell y'all to this day, I am singing the wrong lyrics to this song because I know that the lyric, now won't you go Miami, mammy, is not, I know that's not the lyric. No, but you also... It, that's a song you can't breathe the entire now see you said lust in my eyes in my mind it's with the lace in my eyes so don't give a damn and don't know but what see when you learn it. songs at a young age too I learned this certain words or certain concepts you have like have awareness you know of what lust is so you're kind of like oh why would that well that'd be the word it's definitely lace, lace. lace. well lust is not even in my lexicon so it's okay. absolutely like so that's not even an option with the lace in my yeah I know what lace is and then like she's being <laughs> sexy and like people wear lace for sexy time to my knowledge okay yeah well all right um last question is what was the unique part of Benjamin Banneker's genius that he used in being on the team that surveyed and laid out the plan for the city of Washington, D.C.? Great question. Great question. Thank you for that question. As they would say, <laughs> she would say fashion. Fun fact, really quickly, I used to compete in Black History Quiz Bowls as a young kid. So, you know, things like this give me a rush, give me a vibe. So <laughs> I do know the answer that Benjamin Banneker used astronomy and his math skills to help lay out the city of Washington, D.C., or the District of Columbia. That is correct. He is astronomy. I think a lot of people don't know that. A lot yeah. of people don't know that he that the city of the District of Columbia is like laid out based, based on, on the stars. stars. Mm-hmm. He's ahead of his time. He was like, I knew this before y'all knew this. He was ahead of his time and also channeling the ancestors that were using all the stars to escape. Mm-hmm. Not following so the we love Sweet Chariot. So like, our people love the mapping of the stars for we real, do. for real. We do. And you know what? There's this there's this myth that some people, myself included, don't think is a myth, but actually think is real. And it's that there was this French guy that had been commissioned to actually be the one to plan out the city. But mm-hmm. then he was like not getting along with the uh, with George Washington and his squad. And so he was like, fuck y'all. And he just took his plans and left. He took his ball and left. He went back to France and he was like, all these plans I put together, y'all gonna have to start from scratch. Bye. Au revoir. Uh, <laughs> so he leaves and then they were like oh my god what are we gonna do what are we gonna do and then Benjamin Banneker was like I mean I remember and they're like what do you mean you remember and he was like I remember exactly what he did and in two days he actually recreated all the plans from memory and so you have of course the doubters the haters the fakers who are like that didn't really happen but for those of us who know about black genius and the ways in which Black people have always had to not just be the, the best, but be the triple best in order to stay where they are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me and it doesn't seem far-fetched to me at all that Benjamin Banneker would have had to do all of that to be still a part of the project. Now, he was a freed Black man who got the opportunity to be a part of this project, but there was still people to this day who question how much he actually 
was involved in the project. And I hate those people. I mean, that doesn't sound that far-fetched when you think about Harriet Tubman having to remember the entire Underground Railroad. I can't really remember how to get to the stove. But also, the Underground it's like, Railroad. why are people acting like having a photographic memory is not a thing? Because he's Ma'am. a Negro. So they're like, oh, like, no, you know what I'm saying? Like, smart. <laughs> I don't understand it, but I don't understand a lot of things these days. I don't understand why we're debating a 10-year-old and whether or not they should have to birth a baby. So the fact that like that's even a, dis- a discussion and debate, I don't understand it. But to stay on task, shout out to Jeremiah Like the Bible for going to the back of the class. I came from behind the teacher's desk and now I'm in the class today. <laughs> I was well, a TA to student. You went from TA to student and y'all are going to go from angry to testifying because we about to talk about who got you fucked up. Niggas got me fucked up. Oh, niggas got me fucked up. Not today, not the one. All right. Yeah, man. Niggas do got us fucked up. I mean, honestly, I'm always interested in like people, people be sending me like essays, you know, about who got them fucked up in my mind I'd be like I feel you and I'll be like damn I'll double heart it but I'm just like you don't got time to like read the whole essay but Taj can you please tell us you know niggas got me fucked up Mondays this is our segment that we do for y'all to get you just free from the things that are stressing you out get it off your chest testify be heard be seen and in some cases actually right here on the radio be heard so Taj who do the people I fuck this up every week Taj who got these people fucked up so Uwa underscore Ma, Mahauro said, my stylist didn't do her job and it's still making me pay for her quote unquote services. And that's mm-hmm. who got her fucked up. But there's a lot of that happening on the internet yeah, right now. Like On the internet a lot. Yeah, but I'm also kind of like, y'all stop putting down $200 deposits for $800 hairstyles that are only going to last two weeks because the edges are going to frizz. And we all know that. That's just fact. Why are people paying $800 for a hairstyle? I, Is that with the hair? You did you see cry. how my hair, did you see how my, my scalp just started itching? Like just you saying that made me have to itch my scalp. Yeah, but there's like a lot of stuff. Like I just saw something the other day where someone was like, I just paid $900 for my braids. You know what it is? It's a clout chase. Somebody you know said that. It's a That's insanity. To pay because like- <laughs> the hair, the quality of the hair is one thing, but the actual like installing of the hair is another thing. And there's really there's really only a certain ceiling that you can hit in terms of like how to install a hair properly. Like at that, at that ceiling, there's really no other difference. It's like everyone who's at that ceiling is at that ceiling, unless they're employing some other, you, you know, well, like. I saw somebody say that basically now a lot of these new hairstylists are only, are trying to like live up to a certain like status or mm-hmm. keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Like that's why they're charging so much. They're trying to live a certain lifestyle. So it's like, oh. This wasn't the, this wasn't the field. You better <laughs> create all. a line of hair. <laughs> This wasn't the field. I mean, I had someone trying to charge me like $421 for twists. And I was just, I, I've never recovered. I, it's, between that, between that and paying $18 for a hamburger in LAX, I've never recovered from that. Four years ago, I spent $18 on a hamburger in Los Angeles International Airport. And I'm still mad about it to this day. So <laughs> there's that. But I also just feel like there's, before, before you say the next one, I've heard about people, um, Adding, like, if you're late to your appointment, like, them adding to the cost. But then if they're late, they not deducting. Yep. How that work? Right. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I better okay. start learning how to cornroll your own hair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, next, next. 
Well, shout out to my braider, Angie. Shout out to Angie, Angie Hairstyles. Angie be doing the goddamn thing. Angie also just be like pouring into just your spirit and your soul with her good energy. And you want that good energy in your hair. So shout out to Angie. That is a fact. If you're dealing with a hairstylist that has bad energy, don't go back, guys. It's just, it's never, it's never, ever, ever worth it. Trust. So we also have, I am Shonda Cooper who said, when I said thank you to my Caucasian coworker, his response was show enough. And that has her fucked up. Why would he do that? Show enough. Well, I had a... I used to have a supervisor who used to, who used to talk to us in a black scent. And used to be me and my car used to be like, is she for real right now? Is she serious? Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you like yo yo yoing, and it's like you don't yo yo yo. So not on her Iggy Azalea. That's scary. Oh my girl, save it. We got one more. Yep. Let me see. Okay, so Southern lady said, "Teaching during the summer because they don't pay us enough is what's got her fucked up." (sighs) And shout out to also learned. I also learned that these teachers are getting like paid more sometimes in public school than in private schools. Yeah. So I was like, I saw someone commenting on that saying that like the private sector actually doesn't necessarily pay more. And mm -hmm. I don't understand at this point. I'm just like, I don't understand how people are living. They not. But shout out to Donors Choose. We do a lot of work with Donors Donors Choose at Smart, Funny, and Black. Donors Choose is an organization that basically has created like a GoFundMe for teachers. You know, a lot of people don't understand that teachers be paying for a lot of these projects in their classrooms out their pockets. And especially as we have seen how the school system has become under fire by folks who are trying to politicize actual learning and try and like get in the way of facts. Uh, Donors Choose gives teachers the opportunity to put a projects on Donors Choose and then have the people like me and you fund those projects. And a lot of Black teachers did not know about Donors Choose. So if you're listening right now and you are an educator or you know educators, please let them know about Donors Choose as a resource and as a way for them to impact their classrooms, utilizing the monies and the resources of us, the people. Um, I just feel like Niggas do got a lot of niggas fucked up. And I am glad that we could share that with y'all so you can get it off your chest and you don't got to carry it with you into the week. All right? Because this is Smart Funny Black Radio. I'm your host, Amanda Seals, joined by... Jeremiah Like the Bible. And Tajrani. Now, shout out to everybody who is going to be in D.C. Shout out to everybody who was in Rally last weekend. Shout out to everybody who's going to be in D.C. this weekend for the Black Outside Again weekend. Again, we have Small Doses Live, which is my podcast, and we will have guest... April D. Ryan, White House correspondent, legendary White House correspondent, April D. Ryan will be joining us to give us some inside scoop on what's going on behind them closed doors. And, you know, she's gone face to face, head to head with these with these jackals. You know what I'm saying? So I'm excited for that. Then we also have an evening with Amanda Seals. So I'm going to be doing my thing. Stand up comedy. And we also have Smart, Funny, and Black. And a lot of people just never got the chance to experience the incredible dopeness of Smart, Funny, and Black, the HBCU reunion of Smart, Funny, and Black, the, the family reunion, is, sorry, the HBCU homecoming of Smart, Funny, and Black, the family reunion, the revival of Smart, Funny, and Black, because that is what it is. Now, we've been playing these live clips at the end of every show to give y'all a little bit of taste. And in honor of us being at the Kennedy Center this weekend, our live clip is dedicated to the last time we was at the Kennedy Center. We had radio hosts and legendary uh, our Legendary Rap City host Joe Claire as one of our black spurts versus radio host Angie Ange. And uh, Angie did come out the victor. Angie did come out the victor, but they went head to head 
on the Kennedy Center stage and it was legendary because of course we was all up in the concert hall sold out swag surfing uh we was knucking if we were bucking we were dropping it like it's hotting we were taking over for the 99s and the 2000s and it was just a really momentous experience and for me it was also just incredible because I knew that this jackass was in the White House across the street across the way and it just felt like we were doing a middle finger uh, and raising our blackness to the heights in this hollowed hall in the face of the fucking trashness that was going on over there. So if you want to join us in doing that again, uh, come on out. Get your tickets. Tickets still available. Go to amandaseals.com and join us. You know what it is. This is Swamp Onion Black Radio. And you know what? We are each other's business. When we look out for each other, we lift each other up. Smart Onion. Let's take it to our next game, Blabates. Blabates is a game that basically is a black debate. Our black will be challenged to present to us a opening argument, then they will rebuttal, then they will have a closing statement. Now remember, tonight's show is all dedicated to hip hop, so. Now. Keep in mind, both of these, both of these are correct answers. What we are judging tonight is who is the better debater. Y'all with me? Joe. shut up thank you Joe now because you won the last game you get to choose which year you are going to argue in uh, we of. will be arguing the merits of 1994 Angie Ange you'll be arguing the merits of 1998 now, because Joe got to choose his year, he will actually have to go first. Okay. Joe, please, your opening statement. Ladies and gentlemen of the Kennedy Center, <laughs> let me just illustrate that in 1994, Nas <laughs> and Biggie gave birth to black babies on album covers. <laughs> A trend that has carried on up until the Carter Five. Now Nas's Illmatic is widely considered the greatest hip-hop album of all times. One of the only albums to ever get five mics in the Source magazine. It is a flawless album with production from Pete Rock, DJ Premier, and many, many other stalwarts of hip hop. But then when you drop down to the notorious B.I.G. and Ready to Die. Need I really argue this point, ladies and gentlemen? 
can I just go, oh, hot, sicker than your average. Papa Chris Cabbage off instinct. Niggas don't and that blame. wasn't even on that album. That was on another album. That's how incredible that album was. The shit I just said, he was already gone, and y'all thinking it's the new shit. That's how incredible it is. And then we come over, oh my God, to Outcast. She got down, she. <laughs> to say in a true dope boy Atlanta slang, she. Folk. That's outcat, man. Listen, Southern Playalistic, Cadillac Funky Music. And to find out that, 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 that Dre had dropped out of school and was getting picked up by Big Boy so he could go back to the studio to make this incredible classic. Oh, and look, he got, look, Big Boy got the regular braids, the regular. Look at them, them grandma braids. Somebody grandmother gave him them braids. And then the resurrection by Common. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even, man, I used to love him. I used to love him. That started him beefing with Ice Cube. A fact that a lot of y'all just forgot. That's my, that's my argument. That's my opening statement. Give it up for Mr. Joe Claire. Angie Ange. Thank you. Angie got notes, though. I was just writing. Angie is studious. Angie is prepared. <laughs> well, why y'all ain't give me a pen? I asked for one. Because you I had asked. a phone. <laughs> All right. I feel Angie, like y'all ganging up on me. Bless us with your opening statement. Thank you. On 1998 <laughs> as the golden year of hip hop that pushed the culture the furthest. Thank you, Amanda. Now. My opponent, Joe Claire, made a great point about 94 and the resurrection, but we have to all agree that in 98, it was a renaissance of sorts. And I say that because we lost Biggie, we lost Tupac in this era, and it then birthed Jay-Z giving us the blueprint. We could no longer fight like this. So the era of 98 represents renaissance and balance for multiple reasons, which we can see up here, right? Because, <laughs> I'm sorry, is this, is teaching, this my corporate Teaching, teaching! <laughs> all right, so when you look at the balance here, DMX had us all growling, like, where my dog's at? Oh, oh! Where my dog's at? Oh, oh! Okay. But at the same time, Black Star gave birth to the brown-skinned lady, showing love to the brown-skinned lady, uplifting the brown-skinned lady. At a time when, hands down, the biggest artist in the world was a brown-skinned lady. And One of my favorite things about El Boogie was that 
She made love a beautiful thing. She made struggle a beautiful thing. And she showed us that nothing even matters oh, at that's all. Some, oh, that's that boo. However. That's that bullshit right there, man. That's that bullshit. However, my last point for now. At the same time, she also asked a very pertinent question that I believe we're all beginning to embrace. And that is when she said, how you gonna win when you ain't right with them? That was 98. Thank you. Joe Claire, uh, it is your turn to rebuttal. Wow. My opponent, Angie, and her Howard University cohorts are <laughs> painting a wonderful picture of 1998, but one that belies the truth. Oh, where shall I start? <laughs> Let's take Earl. Shall we start with Earl? I believe that album was the <laughs> uh, precursor to the meltdown on Ilyana fix my life. I believe you can begin to see the dysfunction and on to uh, Jay-Z, who I am a big fan of. However, 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 he sold a lot of crack. Not a fan of crack. I'm not a fan of crack. Decimated communities sent us into a spiral that we are still trying to get out of. Look at Young Thug. <laughs> and your beloved Lauren Hill. Don't be, choose your words wisely. Can, may I, can I finish? Excuse me, judge, may I finish? They're, they're hating. The cohorts are hating. Okay, all I'm gonna say is, <laughs> wasn't she messing with Wyclef and he was married in the middle of all this shit right here? Huh? What? Oh, y'all ain't got nothing to say now? Huh? She was with... Uh, 
alleged. I think the stronger argument would have been that she did not give credit to the writers. Part two. <laughs> you mean she was sleeping with somebody's husband and no, she ain't no, paid no. the writers? No, no. Somebody's husband was sleeping with her. Oh, y'all wrong. Y'all wrong for that. He was sleeping with her. Angie Ange. Thank you, Amanda. Please hit us with your rebuttal. Thank you. I'll be brief. <laughs> I appreciate Joe's perspective, I do. But come on, guys. What types of games are being played? How's it going down? As DMX so eloquently spoke on his song with Faith Evans off of this, this album. You know, I really don't have to get too deep with this because for a couple reasons. If it weren't for this guy up to the left, Jay-Z in the blueprint, who showed us how to move in a room full of, we wouldn't have title. We wouldn't have our own platform owned by us that actually pays its artists more than the other platforms. I'm talking Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube even. How many of y'all got title? Seven. <laughs> this is a room full of Spotify. He also showed mercy to your guy Nas and said, hey man, we can all eat. Oh yes, let's keep in mind, Nas may have ethered him, but when we're talking about the game of life, when we're talking about the game of business, Jay-Z could have easily said, you'll never eat again, but he said, nah, man, let's all eat together. You gotta give him that. And last, but certainly not least. Of all the people up here, he's the only black hip-hop billionaire. 1998 was great, would you agree? That's all I got, man. Well, well, well. Now this is what we call a blub H. I will ask each of you to, in one sentence, Make a closing statement. Hmm. Oh, my closing statement. Let me see. <laughs> uh, my closing statement is this. Although all those things she said are true and great, those people in 1998 had to stand on the shoulders of the brothers and sisters from 1994 to be able to do anything in 1998. And none of them are in Harvard. Nas is in Harvard. None of them have movies. Biggie got a movie. That is more than one sentence. Oh, my bad. <laughs> 
PG County Public Schools. Hey. I don't follow the directions all the way. I follow most of the way, but not all. Angie Ange. All right. Your closing statement in one sentence. In one sentence? <laughs> not Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce, goodbye. I'm done. <laughs> nah, man, you know, uh, Lauryn Hill, when she did her Unplugged album, she said, fantasy is what people want, reality is what they need. And the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, in 1998, hands... Oh, this was a sentence, wasn't it? It was. But oh, you're, my still, bad. you're still I'm on sorry. it. Was... And the reality is, in 1998... The reality is, I hands down won this debate, hands down, just off the people up here. That's the reality of it. Shout out to DMX. Anytime someone can make a room full of people bark like dogs with blood drenched in blood, it's dark and hell is hot, you got to give my man his props. I mean, 98, diversity, balance, Please give it up for our black experts. But <laughs> isn't that what crack does? My dogs go. Y'all dogs go, and then we gone. First we had them like, now they like, why baby? My dogs go, y'all dogs go, and then we gone. First we had them like, now they like, why baby? Bitches wanna... All I feel is pain! All I feel is pain! Let's not. Let's not. All right! Is the winner of our debate, Mr. Joe Claire and 1994? Or. Is the winner of our debate, our blabate, Angie Anja, 1998.